0: Better. Praise God. Well, as you can see, I believe from the slide, we're still talking about this subject. Um, I mean, the, the title today is, What is Missing? It's the second part of what we began last week. But it's part of a series which was really birthed in my heart when we were on vacation uh, um, several weeks ago. And I was sitting on the porch of my mother's cottage and, and, and had this wonderful chance to just be quiet. That's interesting when you have a chance to be quiet. Amazing what you can hear when you're quiet and I uh, just began to listen inside and I felt God speaking to me about us as a church that we were at a crossroads. Crossroads is where you have to make a decision which way you're going to go. There's two avenues open to you but we decide which avenue we're going to go down. And the words he spoke to me was are you going to have church or are you going to be the church? And I knew immediately what he meant. And this is what I believe he meant by that: is Having church is it's all about your motive why you come. Having church is basically centered around us. We come for what we get out of it. We love the praise and worship. We love the color of this carpet. We love whatever. We love the the pastor. We love, you know, we love the messages. We love whatever it is we, 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 we love. And so, you know, when we leave, it's like we measure by what we got out of it. And you know we also love to meet people, we see people we get friends that we have in church, and I can you know we sit with them and we don 't sit with people that we don 't know, so we sit with people we 're comfortable with and and we come and there's nothing wrong with with uh visiting friends and being together with friends and um, but but that 's having church and I was uh, you know i was we were saved and and filled with the Holy Spirit back towards the end of the charismatic renewal when you would have explosions of the gifts of the Spirit and I believe we'll have them here again and, and just dynamic things happening and you know people you know, getting goosebumps and people's hair standing on the edge and even some people that didn't have hair they stood on the edge and just like wow wasn't that wonder? wouldn't it be a wonderful experience and they say wow boy do we have church today and that's all about our experience nothing wrong with having experience but God didn't put the church here to have experiences. He put the church here to be something in a lost and dying and dark world. And that's the choice we have to make. Is our, we, and we really are at a crossroads. And this is why some of you are experiencing and knowing there's an enemy trying to distract us, trying to wear us down, coming at this church. And it's happened before. But it's, to, it's so that we will not we will make the wrong decision at this crossroads. And the decision is not just the decision that I make because the church isn't me, it's all of us together. And and, 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 and you, are, you affect that decision as well as I do. But oh my brother and sister, everything's at stake, not just for the people around us, but for our lives too. Because whether we just come to have church, it's like then, you know, we, we, we can go to heaven. But do you understand, this is what's so strong in my heart lately, I'll talk more about this at the end. Do you understand we're, we're dealing with eternity. One, two, three of you got that. We're dealing with it, you know, eternity. And at any moment, we can step into eternity. Eternity is wherever you are, that's what you're going to be forever. And, and, it, it, and people all around us are on the brink of eternity. You and I are on the brink of eternity, and it's not just whether you go to heaven or not, but we've talked about this before, I don't want to get sidetracked with this, but you understand when you leave your body, you're still you. You're not suddenly turned into an angel, and everything's perfect about you. And what you've done with what God gave you here will determine what you're going to do in heaven for eternity. I don't have time to go into the scriptures. But Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, I think it's around chapter 6, where they're talking about, this was not my message this morning, but was talks about, talks about, you know, don't he talks about people, Christians, and I'm not thinking of anybody in here, Christians in strife with another Christian and taking them to court. And he says, Don't get shocked, that happens. And he says, Don't you understand? Paul thought in terms of eternity. Don't you understand when you get into heaven, some of you are going to sit in judgment over cities. If you can't handle working your own disputes out with each other here, how can God ever entrust something like that to you? If we've got to turn to the secular world to resolve our disputes as Christians, Paul saying, that tells me where your maturity is, and that will affect, you know, you get jobs in heaven. Heaven's not sitting on a cloud going, you'll get work to do in heaven, just like we get to do here. We better move on, that was not very popular, but it's the truth. So whether we, what what choice we make here is critical to us, not just the people God wants to impact, but we're going to stand before the Lord. And, and, and we're going to have rewards that are given to us and you can get to heaven and be whew, just like Pastor Sam's you whew, I can still smell the smoke behind me where I almost didn't make it and say whew, I made it great now you've got eternity with nothing all the others are getting rewards all the others are hearing well done good and faithful servant and God still loves us But then there comes a point when crowns are handed out. Wow, that's great. I got a crown. I got three crowns. You only got two. But you know what we do with those crowns? There comes a point when we take the crowns and we have the joy and the privilege of putting them at the Master's feet. And imagine what it would feel like to not have anything to give to Him. It's not about what we get up there. It's about what we have to give to Him. So as Christians, as a church, as a pastor, I, as best as I can, try to live every day, at least start my day with this in mind. God, I belong to You today. I'm not here to do my will. I'm not here to get You to do my will. I'm here to learn how to do Your will. And my responsibility is different from other pastors. It's, it's whatever he has for us to do. But my point is, we're at a crossroads. What are we going to decide? But in order to decide, we've got to know what the choices are. And that's why we're looking at this. We began to look at why the church is here. And we looked at the it, what Jesus told us, this wonderful thing about being a Christian, when it comes to what our purpose is, we don't have to guess, you don't have to fast four days and, oh God, what is my purpose? He's told us very clearly, it's in four places. Each of the Gospels, He gives us a different part of what we've been sent to do. Matthews, He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, discipline one, trains one, teaching them to obey all, and observe all that I've commanded them to do, all that I've commanded them to do. Mark's gospel, he tells him to go into the world and to preach or proclaim the good news and he links that with the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he links that with signs and wonders and miracles. Then we looked in John's gospel and this is what we looked at last week. I want to just pick up there, John 14, John 14 verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, how many of you believe in him? Oh boy, we need an altar call at the end. (laughs) How many believe in him? Woo! How many people just got saved? (laughs) (laughs) Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, most assuredly, I say to you, apostles. Most assuredly, I say to you, pastors, evangelists, teachers, no, he who believes, this is the fourth part of the commission, the works that I do will he do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. So Jesus didn't just hang on that cross and go to his Father so we could get to heaven. It was somehow so that we could go do the works that he did. So part of His death, burial, and resurrection, and what follows that, is so we can do works here. Everybody say works. Works. We survived that, didn't we? (laughs) Work is a four-letter word. Work. Works is five, but works. We can do works. And the ones, He doesn't leave us in doubt. Well, what are the works we're supposed to do? Well, pastor, what are they? Let's pray. He says, no, look, the works that I do shall you do also. So, there's no great mystery. We just need to go back and look at the works He did, and we did that. We went back and looked at some of these works, works that He did. So we're to continue the works that He did. They didn't end when He left. And we looked at these works. We looked in Matthew, but it's also in Luke, and it's also in each of the others. Wherever He went, the two primary things Jesus did is He taught and He healed and delivered. He proclaimed the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And almost every time He proclaimed that, He then demonstrated that the kingdom of heaven was here by doing something. And what He did... (laughs) is He did whatever was necessary to deliver people from the effects of what Satan had done in their lives. Now He didn't heal everybody, but everyone that came to Him He did. I was raised in church to believe that Jesus did miracles and healed the sick to prove who He was. Well, first of all, Jesus did not have an identity crisis. He knew who He was. Secondly, if that was his purpose, he used a lousy technique, because many of the people that he healed, he told them not to tell anybody. Now the only way that would make sense is if he used reverse psychology, which is when I know you're going to... It's like with a child. You know, a child, if you tell them not to do something, you know they'll do it. So you, don't you dare clean your room. All right, if I can't clean my room, I'm going to go do it now. That probably doesn't work for the room. But reverse psychology is just another word for lying. God deals with us straightforward, directly. He doesn't play games. I don't have time to go into this. There's scripture to support that. He doesn't play games. He doesn't say one thing and mean something else. He is truth, and He only deals in truth. He is light. There's no darkness in Him, or shadow of turning. So when Jesus told them, don't go tell anybody, He meant don't go tell anybody. Why? Because His biggest problem was crowd control. So often it says they, there were throngs around Him, He was surrounded, so it was hard for Him to move and do what He was there to do. So if Jesus was trying to prove who He was, why would He tell people to be quiet? Secondly, if He was trying to prove who He was, He wouldn't need to heal everybody. He'd just need to heal only a few in each meeting. No, He did it out of compassion. He did it because the, the, the sickness and disease, the, 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 the demon possession, was all the result of satanic affliction. In First John chapter 3 verse 8 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that He might destroy the works of the evil one. All of His works... So when he was demonstrating the kingdom of God that was here, that God's kingdom came to set people free from Satan's effects of his dominion and of sin. So he preached the kingdom of God. He also told them to repent and receive the good news. You don't hear much about repentance anymore. He demonstrated deliverance to the captives and freedom. We'll see more about that in a minute. But how did he do these works? Well, I mean he's the son of God. Of course that's how he could do these works. So we're in John 14, let's go to verse 10. Do not believe that I am in the Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The works, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. It says authority up there, but literally in the Greek it just says my own. But look at this, the Father who dwells in Me does the works." So Jesus was saying to them, don't you understand? I didn't do the works. This, is, this this part of this message is so critical to this choice we have to make. Because the choice we have to make has to do with how we see ourselves. And if we see ourselves as, well, God loves me, I'm in Christ, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, And that's it, and we see ourselves as ourselves, we will never fully step into this. This is so important that we listen with our hearts and ears of our hearts as carefully as we can. You only got to listen for about 10, 15 minutes, and then you can tune me out the rest of the time. All right? It's interesting because I don't want to get there. Look at this. But the Father who dwells in me, He's the one that does the works. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm explaining to you because I'm about to tell you to go and do what I did. So I'm going to tell you how I did it. I didn't. It's the Father dwelling in me that did the works. And see, as long as we look at ourselves as ourselves, we'll look at ourselves in terms of what we think we're capable of doing. I heard a preacher use this example once. so I'm, I'm not, It didn't originate with me, but I like it. And it worked better with him because he'd done this before. But he said, what if we had somebody come up here to say something to me? They suddenly started gasping and they fell over dead. And Jesus suddenly appeared. Wow. And you say, Lord, this, this brother just fell over dead. Would you, would you raise him up? How many of you believe Jesus could do that? Sure, no problem. Well, suppose Jesus didn't show up that way. And I went down and I, I, I prayed for him and said, in the name of Jesus, talk to his spirit. Come back in him. You come alive in Jesus' name some of you would have confidence that that would work. But what if I said, okay, you come up and do it. You, you come up and, and raise sick, raise them from the dead. Just be honest with yourself. How confident would you do that? And the reason you would not have confidence is because you know you. Well, Pastor, I don't, my faith isn't strong enough. Jesus didn't say anything about His faith, did He? Jesus didn't say, because I've got enough faith. Because my faith is strong enough. That's how I did it. This is so important. He said, No, 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 no. You understand. It wasn't me. So if I raised this person, it wasn't me that did it. Even Jesus, it wouldn't be him. And if you came up and laid hands on him, it wouldn't be you either. You've got to learn to take you out of it. It's the Father who dwells in me, He's the one that did the works and He's the one that will do the works. In See, this was so critical because He was about to leave them. And if He left them, that means the Father would have left in Him. And where would we be? So let's go... let's go over to, um, let's go to... let's look at how this happened. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. Jesus is about 30 years old, good boy, but what we're going to see is he never did any miracles up to this point. I shared you this with last time. It's obvious because his own hometown, people were shocked that he was doing miracles. And if little Jesus at five years of age was, you know, raising their neighbor's dog from the dead and, you know, and, and that by the time he was 12, he was walking, you know, he didn't go around Lake... Sea of Galilee walked across it, you know, and and he was healing people. They wouldn't have been shocked when he went into public ministry because they'd seen him already do it. Why were they shocked? Because they'd never seen it before. So so we're going to pick up in chapter 3. So Jesus, about 30 years of age, comes down to be baptized. When all the people were being baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit, one-third of who God is descended in bodily form like a dove he wasn't a dove that's how he came down upon him and a voice came from heaven which says you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased verse 23 says and then Jesus himself began his ministry so he did not begin ministry until the Holy Spirit had come upon him we're talking about the father in him did the works how was the father in him? The Father was in Him through the Holy Spirit. The Father was still sitting on His throne of heaven, but the Holy Spirit, who's one third of God, came to dwell in Him. Right. Now let's go to chapter, uh, we're going to come back to chapter 4 in a minute, but let's go to chapter, Philippians chapter 2. So now He's filled with the Spirit. Philippians, that's after Corinthians, John. Wow. <laughs> this morning there we go Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God in other words if he were to say I'm equal with God he wouldn't be trying to take something that wasn't his in other words he was equal he is equal with God but he made himself of no reputation that's what the new King James says But that term made himself of no reputation in other translations and in the Greek language is actually a word that means to turn inside out and empty out. So he emptied himself. Some translation says he emptied himself of his privilege. He emptied himself of, of the glory that he had, the power that he had, the, 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 the majesty that he had as the second person of the Godhead. This, this, is, this is an example. This is the context here is Paul uses, is using this as an example of humility. So he says, when you have this mind in you that which is in Christ Jesus, he's saying, think the same way he did. He took what he had and who he was, all of his rights and privileges, all of his attributes, and he emptied himself of that to become a human being. So now, when in Acts chapter, in Luke chapter 3 we just read, he emptied himself, and now what happens is when the time was appointed, now he's filled, but now he's not filled with who he was, he's now filled with the Holy Spirit fills him up. And the reason this is critical is if Jesus just walked among the people and He had kept His own glory and He had kept His own power and He kept His own authority, He could have done all those same miracles and then when He left, where would we be? Because we'd be like most religious people, we'd put Him on a stained glass window and say, wasn't that time wonderful when Jesus walked among the earth, when God healed people, but that passed away 2,000 years ago. That's what religion teaches us. That's what I was raised to believe because they saw Jesus as the son of God coming among us doing his miracles among us as the as the second person of the godhead. But Jesus came everybody you know what a prototype is? When they design a new car and you see, you know when they come out and they'll come up they'll make a few prototypes of them to kind of see what they look like and see how well they operate and drive around so that people can get, get, you know, their appetite wet to go buy them in the fall when they come out in mass production. That's what Jesus did. He was a prototype. He was a prototype of a Son of God. What are you? You're a Son of God. He was a prototype of a Son of God empowered by the Spirit of God only on the inside of Him. Not empowered because he was Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. He was empowered. The engine that he ran on was an engine that could be given to each one of us. He had no advantage. Listen carefully. He had no advantage over you and me except this. His flesh was not of the, of the lineage of Adam. I didn't mean to get into all this. Our flesh is of the lineage of Adam which means it has a bent to it to sin. It wants to do what's wrong and if you don't think it does you haven't told it to stop lately. Just decide this. Decide tonight when you go to bed you're going to fast tomorrow. You'll find out where your flesh is. You're going to get up at five and read your Bible tomorrow. You'll find out where your flesh is. You're going to forgive that person that did something to you that's unforgivable. You'll find out where your flesh is. And Jesus could sin in His flesh, but He didn't have the same tendency to sin. We have. And I don't have time to get into that. I've got a whole illustration I use about it. But except for that, He's no different than you and I are. He's no different than you or I are. I'm going to show you that. So now He's... He laid all His own attributes, His own glory aside. I want to, I want to prove it to you. Let's go to, let's go to John chapter 17. John 17. Oh, John, we've got to move along. John 17. Now Jesus has finished what He said, His last words to His disciples, and now He's having His last conversation with His Father. Come on, John. John 17 1. Jesus is now praying directly to his Father. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should have eternal give eternal life to those that you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true, to the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I have glorified the, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Look at verse, verse 5. And now, Father, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Look at this. with the, With the glory which I had with you before the world was Philippians 2 said before he came down he laid aside all those attributes emptied himself so that when he walked among us he, what he did he did because he was filled with the Holy Spirit but now he's about to go back to the Father and what he's saying to him now return to me that glory of the second person of the Godhead that I emptied myself of when I came to do my assignment here can you see that? So now he's asking, give back to me what I laid aside to come here. So he did not do his miracles with that glory. He did his miracles. He did the works that he did through the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit that came to live in him. That's so important. That's so important. Because remember, Jesus said, I didn't do the works. It was the Father in me that did the works. How was the father in Jesus by the holy spirit that came down on him in that river jordan when he was baptized. And we didn't look there but in Luke chapter 4 it says the spirit now led him into the wilderness. He was he he didn't eat for 40 days. He was tempted by the devil. And then once he came through that testing, it says, and he returned in the power of the Spirit, and that's when his public ministry began. So there are many of us that are, quote unquote, filled with the Spirit. But how many of us are walking in the power of the Spirit? Remember, we're here to be the church. To be the church, we've got to be who He is because we are, the church is part of Him. He's the head and we're the body. All right, we've got to move on here. I'm going slow because these are so important to grasp this and understand this. Now go with me to Luke chapter 24. We're going to skip that other verse. I just quoted to you. He returned in the power of the Spirit. No. Let's go there. Luke chapter 4. There's something in there I want you to see because this is so important. Verse 1, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, now go down to verse 14. And then He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the news of Him went throughout all the surrounding regions. Notice the news didn't go anywhere until He had the power of the Holy Spirit. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he comes to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. He's going back home now. And as was his custom, when he grew up in the synagogue, on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Notice his opening words here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, they must have heard that hundreds of times. He may have read that there before. But the difference is, now when he reads it, the Spirit of the Lord is actually upon him. So when he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, those words, me, that pronoun, me, must have rung out in their ears. Because he wasn't just reading a scripture, he was reading about himself. See, the scriptures are very different to you when you know they're talking about you. When you're just reading about historical events or religion or theology, that's one thing. But when you know this is talking about you, it's talking to you, about you, it has a different weight to you and when you read it, it has a different weight to you. Why? Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, Proclaim liberty to captives, recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, to deliver people from the oppression and the works of Satan. Verse 9. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the year of Jubilee. I don't have time to go into that, but that's a point when everything that was ever stolen or taken was restored back. So it talks about restoration. But notice Jesus says... Here's what this Word says, and this is about me. The Spirit of the Lord is now upon me. He wasn't upon him the last time he was in that synagogue. He's now upon him. And if you read on, they get mad at him. They get mad. They will. People that don't have a relationship with him. You start walking this, people will get mad at you. Now go to Luke 24. We're going to go back now to this is the last discussion he had with his disciples. Luke 24. verse 46 and he said to them thus it is written and thus it is necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day he's now been crucified and raised from the dead walked among them for about 40 days and now he's about to ascend into heaven that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem we talked about this and you now he's going to talk to them you are witnesses of these things What's a witness? Somebody that gives testimony of something that the others haven't seen. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. So he's saying to them, look, there's a promise my Father's made and I'm going to ask him. He's going to send it on you. This is so important. Why? I send the promise of my Father upon you, but... Everybody say but. But. Terry, that just means wait. Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. Endued means you're infused with it. You're saturated with it. With power from on high. Now we're going to go back a second and remember what you said. Jesus, before He was crucified, last conversation with His disciples, said, here's my commission to you. You're to go and do the works that I did. But understand this, I didn't do them. It was the Father in me that did the works. Now I'm going to send you out, just like I was sent out, to be a witness of me, to be my witness. But you can't just go out with what you see and what you know. You've got to wait until you've been endued with the same power I was endued with. You've got to wait to receive what I received. The power from on high. John chapter 14. We're bouncing all over, I know, but they'll put it up there. John 14. Verse 15. You have it there? John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper. The word another in Greek means a replacement for what you already have. There's one word in Greek that means another of a different kind. This word means another of the exact same kind. Another helper that He may abide with you forever. Next verse. And who is it? It's the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because He neither sees Him nor knows Him But you know him, for he dwells with you. How has he dwelt with him? In Jesus. But he will be, he will be in you. Notice this is another helper. Now John 16, verse 5. I know we're jumping around, but I'm trying to paint a picture for you. But now I go away and he who sent, to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you're going. Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. We talked about this last week. When Jesus is going to say something to them that He knows is going to cause their mind to go tilt, that's going to be shocking to them, because we know Jesus wouldn't, they know He wouldn't lie to them, but there's some things that our mind just are not ready to grasp. And so there were, in those cases, he would say, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Or here he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. That to me is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. How can it be to your advantage? That be, advantage means you're going to get something better than you have. So you have an investment advisor, and they say, "Look, we suggest that you put a thousand dollars into this into this stock. You've got to let go of that precious money, but you do it with the confidence that hope that what I give into it, I'm going to get something better back." So he's saying you need to let go of me, and remember what he was to them. He was their security. They needed food. He could call it out of nowhere, they had storms, he spelled them to be peace, that when they were, you know, whatever happened, he saw them, ra- they saw him raise the dead, they saw, they were not worried when they were with him. And now he's saying, guys, I'm leaving, but it's to your advantage I leave. But isn't, isn't it God so good, he doesn't just say, trust me that I'm telling you it's to your advantage, he's going to tell them Why? Now, if I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Next verse. And when He's come, He will convict the world of sin. So He does this work. He does this work. He will convict the world of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. I don't have time to get into those right now. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said, He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So He's told them to wait. He's trained them. He's taught them. He's equipped them. They know infinitely more of what He's like than you or I do. And He said, that's not enough. You need to wait in Jerusalem until you have what I have until the Father dwells in you the same way He dwells in me. You can have a relationship with Him, but you need the power from on high. Notice He didn't say the wisdom from on high. Notice He didn't say the direction from on high. He said what you need is the power. And that's what What's missing? What's missing? What's missing? What did Jesus have? What did the first disciples have that turned the world... They turned the world upside down. That was a testimony. People got me Wherever they came, they turned the world upside down. There was a famous uh, preacher that said once... He was a theologian. And he said... um, a, A bishop. He said, I'm concerned because I've just finished reading the book of Acts. And wherever Paul went, they arrested him and persecuted him. Wherever I go, they serve me tea. They turned the world upside down. What did they have we don't have? Power from on high. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration and the power, not of the church, of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said, I didn't do the works. The Father in me did the works. So Jesus is saying, wait, so let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This has all been to set this up. And then next week we'll pick up from here. Acts chapter 1. Come on, John. You're excited. I can tell you can't turn pages. Come on, John. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. There we go. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Not 2, Acts chapter 1. We'll get there. This is what Jesus said. Now he's ready to ascend into heaven. He's done everything he can do. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait from the promise of the Father. Now he's going to make very clear what that is. Which he said, you have heard from me. We just saw where he heard it from him. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Stop a second. I want to explain the word baptized to you. Because baptized is not an English word. It's literally a Greek word that's been brought into English. Baptizo. And it comes, the root of this word, the history of this word, is it comes from when they used to take linen cloth and they would dye it different colors. So they would have a container of dye, red dye, blue dye, whatever color dye. And they would take this and they would dip it down into that red fluid or blue fluid and then they would pull it back up again. The word was used was to baptizo, baptize. What happened when they did that? They took white cloth, white fibers and when they put it down in that blue dye the blue dye got absorbed into the white linen fibers. So it became part of it and one with it. If if it it just got wet, you could bring it out, shake the blue dye off, and it would still be white. But when it came out of the blue dye, the white linen was changed and was more like what it was put into than what was put into it. To be baptized with something, which means to be saturated with it and immersed in it. My stepfather was a lawyer that represented a bank, and what they used to give out were these little, I don't have time to spend much time on this, these little compressed pieces of cardboard, and he would bring them home to us because it had the name of the bank on it. But we knew what it was, so the first thing we would do is go over to the sink, fill the sink up with water, and begin to slowly immerse this. It was a sponge, but it was a sponge that all the air was compressed out of. Some of you are old enough to remember those things. And as you would put it down in this water, it would begin to absorb the water and would begin to fill out. There was no more, there was no more content. It was just as much sponge after as it was before, but now the sponge was filled with the Water. And then what we would do is we would take it out and we would squeeze the water out and all the air out and we would get it dip it down in there and we would release it, it would soak in all the water. There'd be more there'd be less air and more room for the water. We're boys. And we got a sponge that's so saturated with water that when you pick it up it drips. Some of you must have had boys, because you know what we did with it. We would just see my brother over there when my mother wasn't looking. It was so full of water that when you moved it, the water flew off of it. All right, with that image, oh, we've got to go quickly, because we'll pick up here next week. Verse 6. Therefore, when they come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. That's a whole other message. Verse 8, but you shall receive, say it, power. you shall receive power. power. Not wisdom, not direction, not understanding. You shall, what's missing? Power. You shall receive Power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you just as He came upon Jesus and empowered Him to go do the works. He's the Father in Jesus did the works. The Father in Jesus was the Holy Spirit which He received when He was baptized. And Jesus is saying, you're going to go do the same works I do because the Father in you is going to do the works and you wait here until He's come in you and empowered you to do the works. And then you shall be witnesses. I looked that word up. I knew it was true, but I looked it up again this morning. That word witness is not a verb. He's not saying, once this happens, I want you to go witness for me. He's not talking about something you do. He's talking about something you are. Most Christians are trying to do, do something to be something. And it's backwards. You've got to be who He's made you to be, and then out of who you are, do what He wants you to do. That's a whole series in itself. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. We're going to have to pick up here next week. We're going to pick up here next week, and then what we're going to do, maybe not next week, we're going to have a time, we're going to have a service on a Sunday morning where I offer for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because I've become aware just in my spirit that we're talking about spirit things. Worship. We want to worship. But true worship, John four twenty four says, is in the spirit. And spirit isn't goosebumps. Spirit isn't your emotion. Spirit is being in contact with the spirit part of you and the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And those of you that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit that may speak in tongues, yet you're not... Well, I'm not... I've done that. I speak in tongues more than you all. (laughs) But I, I don't see the power in my life. I don't see the boldness. I don't see the demonstrations. I'm not just talking about in here, but in the marketplace. I don't see that. Instead, we tend to be intimidated by the world. The boldness comes from the Holy Spirit, from God's presence inside of you. So you may have been baptized in the Holy Spirit just as I have been, but we're going to do it again because they did it over and over again. We're going to be filled with Him so that we can go out of here in the power of the Spirit. And that's where we're headed. We may not do that next week, but we're going to do this soon. But I'm still laying a preparation.